All right. Good morning, everybody. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Galatians chapter 5. So we are in Galatians chapter 5. We're only three verses, 13 through 15 today, but don't let that fool you. I'll take the whole time. I, uh, we have a bunch of announcements, which, which, uh, with a lot of the announcements, as we sort of life begins to, you know, regulations and start things start lifting up and people start feeling more comfortable, uh, more and more things are, are happening on the, the church calendar. So the first thing is to like, because we haven't really been doing bulletins and that sort of thing, the best thing you can do is to sign up for the e-newsletter. You can either, you know, let Melanie know or you can just go to our website and you can sign up there, and there's a there's basically two emails come out a week. There's one on Thursday that basically is like the bulletin, and then on Sunday morning, basically links to to how, how to watch the service and that sort of thing come out. So, but a handful of announcements today. So first, it's Happy Mother's Day. There are flowers are out there for the ladies. We don't really there's no real strict rules on who takes them. Like we prefer ladies. Um, obviously sometimes at the end it's like there's, there's leftovers. And if you're like the mom is not here, you take one to, you know, to, to, to bring to your mom. I, I recognize that mother's day is a day that, that, that for a lot, it comes with mixed feelings. Sometimes, uh, it's, and it's most simplistic thing. We we want to honor moms and just say thank you to the moms. But as a pastor, I, I recognize that, that sometimes Mother's Day comes with sort of conflicted emotions. You know, I, I, I don't, I'm not going to rehash my experiences with my biological mom. So my Mother's Day story is complicated. I have other moms that have been moms to me that don't necessarily follow my biological line. I also understand that there are ladies who couldn't have kids and have miscarriages. Um, Mar- Marjorie's here, and I like, you know, this is, I know, this is her First Mother's Day after Connor and I see these three young men who showed up. Like I, I can't even look at them because I don't want to be crying during this. So, so thank you, young men, for for doing this. It means a lot. Um, there's, you know, make sure you give Marjorie a, a hug today and and wish her Happy Mother's Day. Um, uh, now I saw Anna crying, and now it's like, you guys know what I'm trying to say. Also, we kick off on Mother's Day the baby bottle drive for Alternatives Medical Clinic. We um, we we. We, uh, it's a fundraiser. We're partnered with Alternatives. They're on 2nd and Juniper. It's a pro-life medical clinic. It's a full-blown medical clinic that, you know, full services uh, for free. And things like ultrasounds are provided for young ladies that are in crisis pregnancies, um, STD testing, all, all the full gamut of what you would find in, in a sort of a doctor's office are there. And so that's, all the services are free. There's no government. Uh, there's no government funds received. And so this is a way from Mother's Day to Father's Day. You can fill up a little baby bottle with with coins. They say that one little bottle of coins equals about forty dollars in donations. So it's a it's a huge uh, way to raise some money for them, and it's it's a fun way. They are having um, the five hundred heroes, which is on June fifth. They always I'm on the board, and then they always like guilt me. I'm like, yeah. So we're sponsoring a table, which I don't know how many seats there that means. But if you're a man, you know, come, come down to the event. They provide breakfast. They normally do these monster burritos. It's really good. And, uh, it's always a fun morning. So plan on doing that. 
if you are planning on getting baptized this summer, June 13th, we're going to do it during the service, just like right here. We've acquired uh, like, a temp- like a temporary baptismal thing. If that doesn't work out, Roger and a bunch of guys in the church have said, hey, we have like horse troughs and stuff we can bring in. So we're, we're going with the actual baptismal unless that doesn't work out. Uh, but we're going to do that here. So if you're going to get baptized, uh, we're going to do a class on baptism after this service on May 30th. Um, and I do want to just sort of follow up with where we sort of are, are planning the summer. Um, we've asked for feedback, continue to give feedback, but where we are right now in sort of in, in filling out where people are, um, I do appreciate the, uh, everybody has their opinion, but everybody's all also been very gracious and understanding of like the other side. So I kind of like, I, my, my feeling is that there's 50% of the people who don't really care if we're inside or outside. Then there's like 25% of the people who prefer to be outside, but they don't care for inside. And then there's like 25% of the people who would rather be inside. And we know that the heat is coming. And so right now, what I think we're going to do is on the 20th, uh, we're going to plan on just moving inside for a few weeks and sort of evaluate that just for the heat. Uh, the decision we make, because we're going to take some vacation and John's going to be preaching and and so it's just easier to kind of say, okay, we're going to move inside for six weeks. But with that, there's going to be some help. That's We're going to need some helpers. The main one is we've, uh, before COVID, we had like a nursery and helping with kids. And so if you're interested in helping with kids, we're going to try to reinstate uh, the nursery uh, class so that the, you know, our nursery out here, we can actually, if we're inside to kind of help out the parents uh, with that. So uh, see Anna, Anna's back there. You guys probably all know her. And with that, that's a lot of announcements. So we're just going to get it. go ahead and pray. Um, we're continuing through Galatians. So Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 through 15. Uh, with, we're going to pray, and then we'll look at our passage. Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. We, we thank you, Lord, for how you have reached out to us and provided this relationship uh, with you through Christ. We thank you that it's based upon his work and your grace to us. We thank you for your great mercifulness to us. We ask, Lord, that you would really uh, help us to understand our responsibility to grace over the next few weeks. Father, on this Mother's Day, we do pray uh, for those that this day may be a painful day for them. We do uh, just ask that you would encourage them. We thank you uh, for our moms. Uh, we thank you. We, we pray a special blessing on Marjorie, Lord. We thank you for these three guys that came in to just uh, to, to love on her on this day. Uh, we pray, Father, that um, as we turn our attention to this passage, that you would help us uh, to understand its meaning and significance. Uh, may we grapple with some difficult things uh, that are said here. Not, not difficult in understanding, but just difficult in application. And so we pray this in Christ's good name. Amen. All right, Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. In the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. And Father, we do thank you for your word. We ask that you would lead us now 
And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Um, I, I think many of you know that I'm a chaplain at Escondido Police Department. And whenever I have the pleasure of going down to, to riding with law enforcement through the streets of Escondido, you really never know what you're going to get. And a few years ago, I found myself on a ride along and I could hear over the radio that something was escalating. And I confess, in my wiring, when I hear things escalating on the radio, I'm like, please, Lord, let me let this officer be called to that scene so that I can be involved in whatever thing tr- unfolds. And I never really know what's going to happen. On this one, we got kind of called over there as a backup. And there was an individual who was doing something that required, ultimately needed some force to be taken into custody. But the officer I was with wasn't like the arresting party, so he didn't have to get involved in the paperwork, which is the best of both worlds. (laughs) And as we were getting ready to go back to the car, we're kind of by the car. I could tell the officer was kind of like exhaling, letting the adrenaline of the incident de-escalate. And I see an individual approaching us and i'm like hey there's a guy coming up behind you pretty like he's walking right at you and i'm like i like just so you know and so the guy turns around the individual walks right up to him and he says hello officer i need to be arrested and i happen to be with an officer that didn't like arresting people if he could get out of arresting people and doing paperwork he would find every which way to get out of doing it and he's like i don't want to arrest you there's no reason for it and this guy says i'm on probation I just violated a restraining order and I went over to my girlfriend's house and he looks at him. He's like, I can't do anything about that. How I, I like, he's like, just go about your way. Don't do it again. And he's like, I've also on probation and I'm not supposed to be consuming alcohol. And I've been doing, I've been drinking. I just did a shot as I walked over to you and he like ah, did that number. And the officer's like, you've been drinking. But I don't know if you've been, I don't think you're drunk. And he's like, no, my, the condition, he's like, you, he's like, according to this penal code, blah, 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 you have to run my name. And I could just see the officer going, <sighs> he calls in the name and they're like, yep, this guy's on probation. He's not supposed to have any alcohol in his breath. He's not supposed to do this. You, you have to book him. And the guy's like, turn around. Like the guy's already sitting there ready to get the handcuffs, throws them in. The officer's just irate that he has to go do this. And then it always puts me, the awkward moment is the chaplain. I like hide out in the front seat because I don't know, like, what do you talk about? You know, like, I normally just don't talk to the officer. I try to hide from the individual in the back because I'm not a cop and I don't want them thinking that I'm a cop if they happen to bump into me at Starbucks. Um, And so I just kind of hide. And the whole ride to the station, this guy's talking about how he's manipulating the system. How that he had to get arrested in order to initiate some, some policy in order to bypass whatever trouble he was going to get into so that he could go to the judge the next day and then get into like a different program. And I was like, oh man, this guy's like really thought this through. Then we get to the, the, the temporary jail cell And then the officer who I was with happens to be a Christian starts asking him some Christian questions like, hey, if you were to die today, would you know where you'd go sort of thing? And the guy's like answers, yeah, I know Jesus. He's my Lord and Savior. Gives all of the right answers. And the officer shakes his hand and says, well, nice to meet you, brother, and wish you well. And 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 I left me with like this really 
bad feeling. And after we left the guy, I go back. I'm like, you just turned over really fast. Like you're happy with his answer. Here's a guy that just spent the last 20 minutes telling you how he's manipulating the system. Then he tells you uh, this profession. And it seems like he's manipulating God the same way he's manipulating the judge. And he looks at me, he's like, yeah, you could be right. And he's like, but it's just my brain's too simple to like think through this stuff. And it led into this conversation about our liberty as Christians and our responsibility to freedom that Christ has provided for us. On, on one end, Paul has been arguing against legalism. That's you come to Christ and to maintain your relationship with God, to maintain your favor, you create a bunch of do's and don'ts. And if you follow these do's and don'ts and you follow the various uh, merit system that you've created, then God loves you and he cares for you. Then on the other end of the spectrum is Jesus died for you, there's grace. And so there's license to do whatever you want because Jesus paid for it all, all of your sins, past, present, and future. And so it doesn't really matter what you do because you can just fall back on the assurance of knowing that Jesus paid it all for you. And we've had multiple conversations over the years with this. And today, as we enter into this passage, we really are dealing with that tension. And I, I don't want to be like this guy that was arrested saying, well, I'm just manipulating the system based on what Jesus did. And so I'm going to live my life this way. And I'm going to bank on, I can do whatever I want and that Jesus died for me and I'm good to go no matter what I do. That I have no responsibility towards this gift that was given. And so we get into this text at verse 13. And I think Paul's going to grapple with this. In verse 13, he says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Called to freedom. In this book of the Bible, Galatians, this word freedom has already come up a number of times. In Galatians 2, 4, sort of the, the backdrop, the reason this letter was written Paul writes, yet because, of false, because, yet because of false brothers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that they may bring us into slavery. So he addresses that there's these individuals. They snuck in under the banner of Christianity. They'd heard about the freedom that Paul was teaching. They snuck in to sort of get sort of an understanding of what Paul was teaching so that they could ultimately manipulate the teaching to bring them under the law and into slavery, which Paul has been addressing. Then in verse 1 of the chapter that we're in, Paul writes, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. This is the, the theme of Galatians. This is the key verse of Galatians, that Jesus died for us to free us. It's super simple. Today in our passage, it comes up twice, the issue of freedom. For you are called to freedom, brothers, and in the second half, it's going to come up again. Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 36, if so, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And so how is this word defined? How do we understand this word freedom? It can be defined as liberty, personal freedom from servitude, confinement or oppression. 
So if you've responded to the promise of grace, the Bible tells us that we are free. It's as simple as that. But the verse doesn't stop here. He continues and he says, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. So the question surfaces, uh, do we think that Jesus went to die on the cross for us this heinous and horrific way to make payment for our sins, past, present, and future, so that we could then go on living according to this sinful nature, so that we can just go hog wild with our our language, angry outbursts, alcohol, sexuality. Do we think that Jesus paid that penalty on the cross for these things so that we could then accelerate in these areas? And we turn some the corner in this book to address some really difficult concepts that I think that like Christianity would be well served to really think through and to consider what the Bible has to say. We see theologians argue and like really, quite frankly, fight over grace and its implications over and over again. Uh, One big fight started back in the 30s by Dietrich Bonhoeffer's book, a guy I really appreciate, but while in prison, he, he wrote the book, The Cost of Discipleship. And so this sort of uh, started a, a, a movement, a case that if, if you have responded to the gospel, there is a cost to discipleship. There, there is a, our lives, how we act and live should manifest certain things. John MacArthur further ignited this debate in the late 80s and 90s with the issue of lordship salvation and in essence, basically, that if you're saved, then that means that, the, that Jesus is Lord over your life and he's taken custody over all areas and you will no longer uh, sin in essence in these various things or sin won't be mastery over you. He didn't say anything about sinless perfection, but it, it, it created this, this huge debate. And on one side, opponents would argue that grace is just that, it's free by its own definition, grace is something that we don't deserve. We don't, there's no merit for it. It's a gift. And then those that are opposed to this sort of thinking then refer to free grace as cheap grace and would accuse those, this accusation of antinomianism that if you hold, it's a big word, which means without law, basically means that if you believe in grace, that, that this means that you can do whatever you want and there's no accountability and there's, there doesn't need to be any fruit in your life. And so this is a, a huge thing to consider. Like the, the, the question is, can freedom mean anything other than freedom? I, I don't. I, I, I don't think it can mean anything else. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will be, not be dominated by anything. So twice he says, like, I have freedom in Christ to do whatever, but there is this limiting restraint that just because I can doesn't mean that I should. Grappling through this, we support a missionary 
who this is a super big deal for him. Uh, Josh Manning, who is our missionary in Mongolia, he's now in Flagstaff at teaching at Indian Bible College. I, I, I tease him all the time because Josh and I, we, we, have the, we couldn't have more different backgrounds. Um, I was not raised in the church. Josh was like super raised in the church. Like, like I, I, I tease him. I'm like, you know, like with Paul was a Pharisee of the Pharisee. And on the eighth day, he was circumcised. He was a Pharisee of the tribe of Benjamin. I look at Josh. I'm like, man, you're a Christian of Christians. You were circumcised by Tim LaHaye. You did all this stuff. And I like can really go to town on all of his Christianese. And so Josh lived in a, in a world where systems were in place and they were really a part of a group that, that had created all of these boundaries and rules to where they truly were a part of sort of modern day Pharisaicalism, whatever. A Pharisee today is probably the easier way to say it. And so Josh can smell out legalism like no other, and he can defend grace to the point where I, like, it can make you feel uncomfortable. Like, I'm like, ah, Josh, that, 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 it seems like there has to be some conditions on grace. And he's like, if you are limiting grace, then it's no longer grace. And in fact, I texted him this today, and I'm like, as I'm, not today, I texted him this week. And I said, as I'm studying this passage, it almost seems like you're right. That like true freedom in the biblical sense is that you could actually in Christ go in the flesh really far. And he responded back, can it truly be called grace or freedom if it cannot be abused? And I think he's correct. And I think that this is what this text says is saying, let me look what it says. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. This would not be written if you couldn't do that. Like if you couldn't use your freedom in Christ as an opportunity for the flesh, there would be no need for the apostle Paul to write this restraining order here. Do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. And so, if we couldn't use our freedom for the flesh, we wouldn't be commanded not to use it. The Bible does speak of carnal Christians in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, if you want to turn over there. Paul writes this in verse 1. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual men, but as men of flesh, as infants in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not yet able to receive it. Indeed, if, indeed, even now you are not able, for you are all still fleshly. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly? And are you not walking as mere men? Skipping down a few verses to verse 12, he continues and he says, Now if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident for the day will will show it because it is to be revealed with fire 
and the fire itself will test the quality of man, each man's work. If any man's work which he has built on remains, he will receive a, a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet as through the fire. So here Paul talks to these individuals and he says, you are saved. You should be maturing. You should be showing evidence of your salvation. But when I look at you, you are like babies. And if you read the book of Corinthians, it is like terrible sin is happening with these believers. And he points to the day when each believer will stand before God. And he says, it's like going through a fire. And if you have pure works and good deeds that you've done that are honoring to God, that those will make it through the fire and they will remain. But if you don't have anything and your life is, has no evidence of your salvation, but you're saved, he says, you're going to make it through the fire. But that last verse I read, it says, but he himself will be saved yet as through fire. I know I've said it before, but I always think of the movie Back to the Future. You know, the guy with all the crazy hair, when he gets transported back and forth, there's like the one scene where he comes out, his hair's like smoking, but he's alive. It always reminds me of that. Like, man, if you got nothing to show other than your faith in Christ, you'll make it into the heaven, totally smoking and with no evidence, totally based on God's grace. In 1 John 2, 28, the apostle John, at the end of his life, as he's pleading with these young believers to walk with Jesus, he says that now little children abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. And he's making this case. If you're a Christian, you could be living your way, your life in a way that's not pleasing to God. You could be living your life according to the flesh and abusing your freedom. And then Jesus appears. And when he appears, your reaction is going to be shame. Uh, in my childhood, I did not have the childhood where the family name meant anything. You know, some cultures like to be a part of a family, you really wanted to honor your mother and your father and not to let them down. I, I didn't have that. Uh, in the military, I began to experience that with not wanting to let the reputation of the teams down with my lifestyle. And then right after I got out of uh the, the military, I found myself in a Greek intensive where I did two years of Greek over the course of a summer. And it's like every single day in class was equ equivalent to like one week of study if you were to do it real time. And so I was in this class with this professor who I really like, like he had a profound impact on my life. His name is Thomas Rom. Super gentle, sweet man, became like a, almost like a grandfather figure to me. And for year one of the class, I was the only student of like the five of us who hadn't already taken first year Greek. So I couldn't slip by. I couldn't fake it. And he was like always on me, making sure I was following along. And as long as I was keeping up, he could move faster, but he couldn't go faster than I was going because he knew the other students had a year of like a year ahead of me in studying. But every day we were given this quiz. And in the quiz, it was a short quiz and there was always extra credit. And so I did my quiz and I knew that I got 100% on the quiz part, the, the, however many questions they were. But then there was always extra credit where you could 
translate like the last little sentence, like a little sentence from the text is actually Galatians. And so I, I knew that I had a hundred percent. So I'm like, yeah, I'm just going to go cut out and get a Coke or a coffee or something and not do the extra credit. And I turned in my paper and I'll never forget. I can't remember. I couldn't find it. I was looking to see what he wrote, but maybe he said it to me, but we came back and he looked at me and he's like, Gunner, I, I'm kind of disappointed in you. And I'm like, what, why? I got a, I got a hundred percent. He's like, why didn't you do the extra credit? He's like, I like, are you in this just for the grade? Are you trying to learn the biblical text? He's like, I, I, and it was like just this blow to my, like my system. And from that moment, I decided, like I, his impact on me was like, I was going to do everything and I was going to excel to the very best of my ability, not because I was trying to like earn his love, but because this guy like actually loved me and cared for me and desired the best for me. And I think that this is what we're dealing with in this passage. And it can be such a fine line because from our perspective, it could look the same on the outside. But if your inward motivation is wrong, then you've really missed the mark. If you're trying to live your life for God in order to earn his love or earn his desire for you, you've missed the mark. You can do those very same things externally, but if your desire is, you know what? God loved me. He saved me. He died for me. I'm not doing this because I want to earn his love. I'm doing this because he loves me and he cares for me. Do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. We certainly have the capacity to use our freedom for the flesh. And in reality, if we're honest with our lives, we probably do abuse grace and liberty in our lives every single day. But if we can't abuse our freedom, should we? Paul would shout at us in Romans chapter 6, verse 1, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? And there's this this pleading of like, if you've received this wonderful grace, why would you abuse it? Why would you take advantage of it? And so often this conversation goes to, to James, the book that has, I think, confused Christianity and we wrestle with it like, Is he infringing upon grace? James says, faith without works is dead. Is he saying that works replace faith? I don't think that's what James is saying. And we're not here to teach James, but it was something I'm like, just in my study this week, something I think I've missed in James. The foundation of James is sort of laid in a couple places. In James 1.25 and then in chapter 2, verse 12, And in those two sections, James says this phrase, the law of liberty. So he's addressing the same thing. Him and he and Paul are on the same sheet of music. So if we've been called for freedom, how do we understand this? What, What does this mean if we're not to abuse it? Charles Swindoll says this, far too many, however, have come to terms with what they are freed from but not what they are freed for. 
We weren't released like birds from a cage to flutter wherever we want. God has, gra- ha- gr- God has grand purposes for us when he frees us from our former life of sin and releases us to a new life of righteousness. So we've been freed from our sin. We've been freed from our guilt and shame, our guilty consciences. Jesus' work on the cross was complete. It was sufficient. He was our substitute. When we trusted him, we are free. We are secure in him. I'm going the wrong way. So don't, don't abuse your freedom for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And so when Paul looks at the whole of the Old Testament, he goes to the Shema, Deuteronomy chapter 6. This is where we find the mezuzah on a Jewish home. There's always a little box, you know, at the, the left of their door frame, or the left for you guys. And it says, you should love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love each other as yourselves. And he says that the whole law is fulfilled in loving one another. It's so simple, yet it's so powerful, and it can be so difficult at times. At the very end of his life, in John chapter 13, as we begin to look at the, the Last Supper, Jesus begins the evening by washing the disciples' feet. And at the end of washing the disciples' feet, he looks at them and he says, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Jesus had just done to that point something that was very sacrificial, washing their feet. But within 24 hours, he would make the greatest sacrifice and he would give his life for them. Jesus says in Mark 10 verse 25 that he didn't come to be served, but he came to give his life as a ransom for all. Ransom is the payment for redemption. Redemption is to be bought out of slavery. And in Christ, we have been purchased out of the slavery that we were in, condemned for ourselves. Someone once said that serving others out of love frees us from our own self-centeredness. I heard another guy say that you knew that you had matured in your relationship with Christ when you realized that the world extends beyond your own belly button that there are actually other people out there that you can love and care for. And then in verse 15, he says, but if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. He goes on to say, if you want to live by the flesh, there are going to be consequences for this style of living. And he's going to unpack this as we continue into next week. But I do want to say on this point, I've already talked about it, but if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. In this warning, 
what I see is great blessing amongst our congregation. Literally in the last couple of weeks, as I've been asking for feedback, you know, something simple about like, hey, what do we guys, what do we think about being outside or inside? And to get the the, the responses, it, it it's it's like overwhelming. I see Patty right there, and she she sort of put in written form what I'd been hearing in verbal form. I like walked to my office last week, and in the box I see a bulletin. And I'm like, oh, is this a complaint? Is this like a prayer request? Because there was like a whole bunch of writing. But it was a pros and cons list. And I was like, here are the pros of meeting outside. Here are the cons of meeting outside. Here are the pros of meeting inside. And here are the cons of meeting inside. And like, this is my two cents, but I don't really care. I prefer this way. I prefer this way. I see Alden back there. I got. She's like, don't talk about me. I left church and she gave me a whole string of stuff in text message form about how much she loves meeting outside. But there are a number of people who being outside is really difficult. And so she's okay being inside. And it's like all of the responses were, I prefer this, but I love the other people who feel the exact opposite of me so much so that it doesn't matter to me which way we go. And ultimately, it made my life really different. It's like, oh, great. So nobody really cares, and I got to make a decision about like what to. Okay, so so what do we do with this passage? This passage, if we really consider it, it should create some tension in our lives. There is no doubt about how we're saved. We are saved by Jesus' work on the cross alone. He paid it all for us. There is an offer to us to respond either our default, we reject him, or we respond in faith. That is simple. After we cross that line in the sand, the issue is now what? In our liberty, do we go to legalism and create a bunch of rules and do's and don'ts and checklists for how we live our lives so that we can be certain that we're living lives that are pleasing to God? Or do we go to the other extreme to license that we say, Jesus died for me, past sins, present sins, and in particular, the future sins. So I have freedom to do whatever I want. Those two extremes, legalism and license, are not the answer. And so there's tension in the middle that, quite frankly, is so much more difficult than either one. Legalism, quite frankly, is simple. Cut your hair a certain way, read out of a certain translation, you sing this category of songs, you do these things. Like, I have, like, German blood. Give me... or. Like, I'd like to do certain things. Give me check boxes. Did I wake up in the day if I just check the boxes? Read my Bible. Do this. Do that. At the end of the day, I accomplished what I'm supposed to accomplish. That's not a relationship. That's not healthy. It, it's actually deceptive. Or we go totally into sin and we bank on what Jesus did for us. 
And if we are saved and we're going through there and you have the spirit within you, I don't think it's going to result in a clear conscience. There's going to be conviction. There's going to be discipline. We're told that if we have a relationship with God, that he loves us and that a good father will discipline us. So that doesn't necessarily lead to a good place either. If you have your Bible in Titus, I think there's a good little passage here. that another friend reminded me of this week. And in, in Titus chapter three, verse chapter three, verse four, or let's start at verse three. And Titus chapter three, verse three, we read, for we also once were foolish ourselves. I can give a hearty amen to that one. I have a PhD in foolishness. <laughs> Disobedient, that one too. Deceived, that one too, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures. Check. Spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. But then the, one of the great buts in the Bible. But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness. Amen. Thankfully, because I don't have many of those. But according to his mercy, that means withholding wrath, withholding some sort of punishment that we deserve. According to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out, poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So much in this paragraph sort of encapsulates what we've been studying in Galatians. We've been justified, a legal declaration that we stand innocent before God by his grace, not our own works. And consequently, because of this promise, we become heirs. The whole line of Abraham through Sarah through Isaac, ultimately to Jesus. We are saved by grace alone, as Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 say. But he doesn't stop there. In verse 8, look what he says in the immediate context. This is a trustworthy statement. And concerning these things, what things? The things he just mentioned... I want you to speak confidently so that those who have believed God will be careful to engage in good deeds. These things are good and profitable for men. Since we've been set free, we're now free to live for God. And this is difficult. There are situations, God, what do you want me to do? That's not a clear answer. How, how can I love on this person? Or here's an opportunity. I'm convinced that God presents opportunities for us each day where we can respond in love and ultimately fulfill the whole Old Testament and the commands of the Bible. And how do we do this? Well, that's next week. Seriously, like Galatians 5.16, the very next verse that we're looking at, it says, but if I, but I say walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. 
So next week, we're going to look at the fruit of the Spirit and how to, like, what does it mean to walk by the Spirit? And if we walk by the Spirit and we're seeking his input in our lives, he's going to lead us and guide us and say, hey, here's an opportunity. Like, like I, I don't even have freedom to share, but today, like, as I'm sitting here worshiping, I saw somebody do something for our church as as they were pulling into the parking lot, I had seen that they had done something absolutely just wonderful for somebody in our church. And I don't have the freedom. And so see, like our church is composed of people that look for opportunities to serve one another. And it's a beautiful thing. And in seeing these, these moments of people loving on other people, not because they're trying to earn favor with God, but because they have experienced the love of God, it's a beautiful thing. As I end today, a man who has experienced this grace in his life was transformed and has affected Christianity through a song he wrote, Amazing Grace. I thought I would research some quotes from John Newton, and I got lost in John Newton's quotes. This man, who was a really an evil, horrible man involved in the slave trade, did horrific things. And then out on the ocean, God saved him. And his life was utterly transformed through his experience of transformation. He penned the hymn, Amazing Grace, which we all know and love. And here's a couple of quotes that he said. One quote. I am not what I ought to be. I am not what I want to be. I am not what I hope to be in another world. But still, I am not what I once used to be. And by the grace of God, I am what I am. Although my memory is fading, I remember two things very clearly. I am a great sinner and Christ a great Savior. In his hymn, he wrote, "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear." And grace, my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. When we experience this kind of grace in our own lives and we encounter our creator in this way and understand that he loves us so much that he would die for us, it transforms us. There's nothing that we can do for him. Like that We can't do anything to, uh, to make him love us more than he already does. And when you experience this truth, it utterly transforms our lives that we want to live for him because of what he's done for us. And Father, we ask that you would help us, Lord, to divorce ourselves from legalism, trying to live and please you by a system of merits and our own self-righteousness. These things lead nowhere other than condemnation and failure. For we are a sinful people. While sin may no longer reign in our lives, it still remains. 
And we need help, Father, to walk in the Spirit. Father, help us not to go into license and living our lives however we want to live. We pray, Father, that you would open the eyes of our heart, that we would live our lives in a manner where we seek you and walk with you and are sensitive to the voice of your spirit within us who leads us and guides us and convicts us, prompts us. Father, help us to live our lives in a way that's pleasing to you because of what you've done for us. We love you, Father. And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen.